0: Well, um, I wonder what your your first thoughts were when you heard that uh, passage read to us from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, On first reading, this chapter of this letter that we've been studying over the last wee while, uh, it can appear a little bit like housekeeping, uh, can't it? It's really mundane, for being honest, and it seems very distant from our experience in the modern world. And so if you were reading through this uh, yourself, you might be tempted to skip over it and to get back to the good stuff in chapter 6. Uh, this week, as I've been trying to prepare this passage, uh, I've been asking myself the question, why preach on this section? Why preach on this particular passage of this letter? And there are a number of reasons. I suppose the first and obvious reason is that Christoph told me to, so uh, that seems like a pretty good reason to do it. But there are other reasons why this passage, I think, is, in, is important to us, uh, notably its length, Look how big this chapter is in the letter. Uh, Length doesn't always mean that something is important, but what it does mean is that we can't overlook it. We can't simply skip this and think that it's not relevant to us. But really the most important reason why I think this passage matters and why we should preach it, why we should look at it in depth, is because of how it links to the central thrust of the letter. You'll remember a few weeks ago and right back at the very beginning of the series, we said that the kind of the key to this little book so this letter is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So I wonder, would you just look back there quickly with me? Um, chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Uh, The local church here, according to Paul, is to be the pillar and the foundation or the pillar and the buttress of the truth of God. A few weeks ago, uh, Steph and Grace and I were in Majorca on a wee bit of a break, and we took one of the days to go down and visit uh, Palma Cathedral in the capital. And it's this beautiful kind of Gothic-style cathedral, and as you look at it, it's a massive building and it's held up, it's supported by these enormous pillars and these buttresses. And Paul says that the local church, in a, in, a, in a similar way, is to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth in the world. So, the church is kind of meant to hold up and to hold out the truth of God to a world that desperately needs to hear it. And so, he says the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. But do you notice how he also describes the church in verse 15 as the household of God? Uh, the church is not merely a truth-dispensing center, but it's a household, or in other words, it's a family. And these two descriptions that Paul gives uh, as the church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth and as a family, they actually go together. They go together. They're inseparable. Uh, If the church is going to be effective, if our church is going to be effective at holding up and holding out the truth to Bangor and the world around us, then it needs to be effective as a family. And actually, the relational beauty that a church exhibits will confirm the truth that the church preaches. And I'm not just saying that. Jesus himself made that very point. A very famous verse, John 13, 35. He said this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that leads us to our first heading. If you're taking notes tonight, I've broken the passage into two uh, sections. The first heading is this. The church is a close spiritual family, full of affection and care. The church is a close spiritual family, full of affection and care. That's particularly verses one to three. Uh, It's true, isn't it, that in some uh, sense, every house, every home is a wee bit like a micro culture or a mini culture in itself. Uh, Every family has different behaviors, different values, different conventions, practices, habits. Uh, Every home in some way is unique. It has its own unique culture. Uh, Some homes are uh, the kind of place where you have to have your shoes on. Some other homes are all about having your shoes off. People have different values and different ways of doing things. And 1 Timothy is a letter where Paul wants to explain the culture of the household of God, the family of God. Paul is explaining to Timothy, who then is expected to explain to the church in Ephesus, look, this is the culture, these are the values these are the behaviors, these are the practices of God's household, the church. And so, what is it to be like? What is the church to be like? Well, verses one and two, look at what he says. He says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Uh, The family of the church, the household, that every believer belongs to is not just a family, it's a close family. Do you notice that Paul doesn't say, um, you know, treat older men as great uncles or treat younger women as distant cousins. He says, treat them, the older men and women, treat them like mothers and like fathers. And those who are contemporaries of Timothy, he says, treat them like brothers and sisters, don't lord it over them. And it's the language, isn't it, of close family. And it's an interesting thing isn't it it's an interesting point that when the bible uh, describes the kind of community that comes about as a result of the gospel it doesn't use corporate language by corporate i mean businessy language uh, the bible doesn't depict the church as some kind of institution or some kind of uh, transactional community where you you get go and you receive a service uh, sometimes that's how the the world likes to think about the church When they're trying to understand what it is that we do when we gather they think the church is a social institution and you just go there to receive a service and to pay into the church or whatever but when the bible talks about the church and talks about god's people it uses the language of family close family now maybe you're thinking tonight well why that metaphor why does paul and why does the bible why does scripture constantly use the metaphor of family whenever it describes the church. Isn't that just sentimentality? Isn't it just trying to be nice and describe the church in a, in a nice way? Well, no, that's not the case at all. Uh, the church is a close spiritual family. And the reason it's a close spiritual family is because that is a reality that flows out of the gospel itself. Uh, just think about it, what happens in the gospel? Well, in the gospel, uh, you and I, who are enemies of God, uh, we are forgiven through the death of Jesus and God adopts us into His family. We're brought into relationship with Him, not just as forgiven creatures, but as sons and as daughters. It's through the gospel that we're able to call God our Father, and we're able to call each other brothers and sister. The theological word for this is adoption. Through the work of Jesus, God Himself has become our Father. We've been adopted into His family. Jesus is our older brother, and suddenly we find ourselves with other people who are our brothers and sisters spiritually, the family of God. And if we don't reflect that reality in our church and in our relationships, then actually what we do is we begin to unpreach by our culture, the very gospel that we seek to preach from the pulpit. Because the gospel that we preach is a gospel of adoption, then we have to live as God's family God's household here on earth. Uh, J.A. Packer got a mention this morning, the theologian. Uh, This is a a quote from J.A. Packer, I think it's brilliant. He says this, Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper and given the family name. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the father is greater. So we see that the church is a close spiritual family. But you notice also verses one and two that is it's a family that is to be full of Christian affection. Let's read it again. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. When it comes to Timothy's interactions with older men and women, there is to be an appropriate respect. Sometimes our society can be demeaning of age. Uh, viewing older people as out of touch or as an inconvenience. But the Bible knows none of that. Uh, Here are words from the Old Testament. Job chapter twelve, verse twelve, says, Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Or Proverbs 16, verse 31 Grey hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. It's not universally the case that older means wiser, but wisdom is gained with years and with experience. That's how Timothy is to treat the older men with respect. And when it comes to the younger women in the church, Timothy is to relate to them with absolute purity. The assumption here seems to be that Timothy needs to guard himself from any kind of sexual impropriety or the appearance of such. But do you notice Paul doesn't tell Timothy to keep his distance? He doesn't say stay away from the younger women. What he's to do is try and foster a healthy brother-sister-sibling relationship with the younger people, uh, the younger women in the church. The goal is not to avoid them. Uh, The goal is for healthy interaction. And so it is these truths, it's this truth that the church is a a close spiritual family that is to shape how Timothy's gonna interact with the different people that he needs to address in the church. Why is that important? Well, if you remember back to chapter one of 1 Timothy in previous chapters, do you remember Timothy was given a charge And the charge that Paul gave him was that he was to silence false teachers in the church who were talking nonsense. But as he does that, Timothy needs to take into account who it is that he's speaking to, who it is that's standing in front of him. I remember hearing a a minister uh, say that if you ever want to rebuke an older man, uh, take them out for golf, say what you have to say to them with the utmost respect, and then make sure you lose the game. And uh, it's a bit of a silly uh, example of how to do it, but he was just trying to make a point that actually when you speak to the person you're speaking to, there has to be appropriate recognition of who they are. And so the church is a close spiritual family and it's to be full of affection, real affection. Uh, the reason we act like a family is because we are family. And in the household of God, there's to be a recognition of different people, of different genders and different age groups. Uh, and I was thinking this week, how many crises in the church would have been avoided if we just taken these words seriously? Paul then moves on, uh, verse 3 through to 16, and he addresses this issue of care that's being provided in the church in Ephesus. And the specific issue that Paul addresses is the issue of the care of widows, which is actually a massive topic uh, in the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people were commanded to care for widows and orphans, those who were vulnerable. And in the New Testament, the the church took up that same responsibility. In fact, very quickly, in Acts chapter 6, we see them trying to uh, work out how to care for the widows that were part of their uh, fellowships. Remember that this was a time, Paul's writing, when there was no state support, there was no welfare. Uh, The family was the sole source of welfare. And so if you were a widow and you had no family, then essentially you had no support and you were left destitute without anything at all. And throughout the chapter, Paul actually urges discernment about who it is that should receive this care, this care for the widows. In fact, most of chapter five uh, is actually about how the church's provision for the widows should be limited and restricted, not how it should be expanded. But because there's so much uh, talk in in chapter five about how the provision to these widows should be limited, uh, it would be easy for us to read this chapter and think that actually uh, care in the church is not particularly important. We could spend all our time talking about how to limit care to the widows, that we think God doesn't really want us to care for those who are vulnerable. But actually, nothing could be further from the truth. Not only is the, this close spiritual family of the church to be full of affection, but it's to be full of real care. Care for those who are vulnerable. Why is that the case? Why is it to be full of care? Well, because again, that is what the gospel is all about. That is what God has done for us. When you and when I were in desperate need, Jesus reached out to us and he helped us. He didn't come alongside us and tell us to work harder, to pay off our debt. He came and he wiped our debt and he bestowed upon us the riches of his grace. And therefore, how we relate to God and how we relate to people in need are actually intricately linked. If it's true that you and I were needy, we could do nothing to help ourselves, and yet God was so generous to us in Jesus. If we are unable to pay that forward, if we're unable to imagine that actually someone else could be in a a desperate situation and we should show compassion on them, then the Bible says that at best, uh, we have a lot of growing to do in our understanding of the gospel. But at worst, we're actually on a collision course with the living God, Because God cares about widows and about orphans and about those who are vulnerable. The whole point of this chapter is really to say that there is such a thing as a needy person. And the church as a spiritual family should be there to help those people. God cares for the needy. And so should we. Not just for widows, but for different kinds of vulnerable people. The kind of good deeds that we should be known for as a church, as a local church includes helping those who are in trouble. And because we are family, those who are part of our church family should be receiving help. And so that's the the first heading this evening. The church is a close spiritual family and it's to be full of affection and it is to be full of care. But then our our second heading this evening, and I suppose this is the, the, the main section of the chapter, our second heading is this. The church is to be discerning in the care that it provides. And that's particularly what Paul goes on to talk about in verses four to 16, that the church should be discerning in the care that it provides. We've said that the bulk of what Paul talks about here is about discernment when it comes to the provision that the church is giving to the needy. And the truth is that the ministry to these widows in Ephesus had become an absolute shambles. And the reason it had become a shambles and a disgrace is because of a lack of discernment among the church. And as a result of it, the reputation of the church was on the line. Uh, the church was trying to do a good thing, but actually what it had done is led to some unintended consequences. Uh, you maybe know of uh, the law of unintended consequences. It's the idea that you can do something that seems good, and yet it leads to all sorts of negative uh, things. Decisions that seem right to us have negative Uh, unintended consequences Uh, this week I was looking for examples of that kind of thing there are lots of brilliant examples one was of uh, road signs in Texas that apparently thought it was a good idea to display the figures for road accidents in that area and they put up these big elaborate boards that displayed the figures of people that had died on the road Uh, the problem was um, that as people drove they took their eyes off the road and instead of actually uh, lowering the rates it raised the rates of uh, road accidents that's unintended consequences. But what were the unintended consequences of the church offering help to these widows? What was it that they were doing that was causing such an issue? Well, it appears from the chapter that the church had actually undermined the responsibilities of families to care for their needy relatives. Look at verse seven. Paul says, give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's the first unintended consequence. They've undermined the responsibility of the families to care for their own needy relatives. But secondly, they'd also funded a self-indulgent lifestyle among some younger widows, and that's verse 13. Paul says, besides, uh, they get into the habit, these younger widows, of being idle, going around from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense and saying things they ought not to. These are the unintended consequences of their actions, and what it's doing is it's causing scandal, and Paul's deep concern in this chapter is that the church doesn't drag God's name through the mud, and so he says discernment is needed about the kind of care that the church provides. And what he does in, uh, in verses 4 to 16 is he lays out some qualifications for who it is that should be considered uh, a real widow. Do you notice that in verse 3 and verse 16, which kind of sandwiched the section, he talks about those who are really in need. Or some translations have true widow. And he comes up with these qualifications as to what a true widow, someone who's truly in need, actually looks like. Here's the first thing. He says, a widow, verse 4 must have no family. Uh, Look at verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Uh, Paul is clear that family bears responsibility, ultimate responsibility, for the welfare of their relatives. And I think that's quite hard for us to hear uh, in our our culture. Our default position in the UK is that the state carries primary responsibility for its citizens. But that is not God's default position. God's default position is that family is the proper center of welfare and care. Uh, There seemed to be a lack of care coming from uh, some families of some widows. And it's why Paul writes what he does Uh, very firmly in verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, This lack of care that was coming from immediate family members was damaging the witness of the church because the world looked on at it and they said, you know, those Christians, they're so uncaring, they don't even look after their own family. They don't care. And so, Paul tells the church that actually uh, they need to be discerning in the, in the widows that they give help to. The church should not be taking over where the family ought to be helping. Instead, the focus of the church should be on those who are really in need. And this is an important thing, I think, for us to reflect on. Uh, the Bible teaches that the church fulfills but does not usurp the institutions of creation. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, The church is the bride of Christ and the household of God, but that does not mean that marriage and family life have been done away with. Those institutions of creation, marriage and family life, uh, they still have a purpose in God's economy. The church in Ephesus, they were trying to help. They were doing a really good thing, but sometimes helping hurts the unintended consequence of what the church was doing was to undermine the responsibility of the families who should have been caring for these widows. Looking after widows is a really good thing, but what it had done is it encouraged Christians to neglect their parents, and that was a bad thing. And so Paul says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice and care for their own family. There's an obvious Uh, application for us this evening, isn't there? Uh, Christians should look after their own family. What does that mean for us? Well, uh, that will look very different for us, and it will take wisdom to understand what that should look like in our particular uh, situation. Some of us live uh, near our parents. We're very close. Some of us don't. Uh, Some of us uh, are an only child in our family. Some of us have siblings and can share the load. Uh, Some of us can afford uh, to look after our parents. Some of us can't. Uh, Some of us may have very difficult relationships with parents, uh, even abusive ones. Um, Wisdom will be required about what it looks like for us to care for our families, to take responsibility for them. And yet Paul says that that is our responsibility as Christians. We're to care for our household, our, our loved ones. Why are we to do it? Well, verse four, we're to do it to repay our parents and our grandparents, those who wiped our bottoms, and loved us, albeit imperfectly, but also verse four, not only uh, to repay, but also because it pleases God. And so Paul puts these qualifications in, and the first one is that if a widow is to receive help from the church, they they must have no family support as it is. But secondly, they also must be a member of the church. Look at verses five uh, and six. Paul says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. And then look at verses nine and 10. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in need and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Paul seems to be suggesting that in order to receive this care for the widows, uh, they must be part of the church. I'm not sure it's possible to read verse five uh, and and interpret it, understand it really any other way. And that seems to make sense because in the Old Testament, Israel uh, was expected not to engage in in, uh, projects to try and care for widows outside of their boundaries. Israel were told that if anyone came within their boundaries in the Old Testament, then they were to provide care for widows and orphans and those who were uh, vulnerable. And so the picture that Paul seems to be giving in these verses is that this care for the widows goes to those who are members of the church. And it makes sense because remember, he's saying that this church is a family. And so we're to to care primarily for those who belong to family. It's also the pattern of uh, the early church. When people came into the fellowship, whenever they came under the sound of the gospel, the church reached out and provided welfare for those who came in. And actually because they did that, lots and lots of people found the early church deeply attractive and wanted to come in. I found a quote from a guy called uh, Julian, who was an emperor, and he wrote this to one of his uh, deputies, basically telling him off about how the Christians were putting them to shame. This is what he said. He said, it is disgraceful that the Christians support not only their own poor but ours as well, All men see our people lack aid from us." And so it's this picture of the church providing support for those who came into the fellowship and so much so that those outside of the church saw it, they thought it was beautiful and compelling and they became part of the church. So Paul says, uh, if you're to benefit from this widow's support, a widow must have no family. They must be a member of the church. But then lastly, He says that they must have no prospect of marriage. this is particularly verses 14 to 16. It seems that there were in Ephesus a group of younger widows who had been receiving financial assistance from the church, and yet they were wealthy enough, according to verse 13, to be idlers. Look at how Paul describes them. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle, And going about from house to house, not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense and are saying things that they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, manage their homes, and give the enemy new opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already departed or turned away to follow Satan. Uh, These uh, young widows, uh, they were going around town and they'd been receiving this financial support even though they didn't need it. And it seems like they were living it up And they were causing disruption in the church and as people are watching these young widows kind of um, play the system a little bit it's a scandal and paul is concerned about it Uh, perhaps it is that they got remarried which led to them uh, being financially supported but they were still claiming support from the church as widows we don't know really what the exact details uh, are of what was happening but paul is concerned with the reputation of the church and basically, the principle that he's outlining is this, that if people can provide for themselves, if they do have support, then they should provide for themselves. Because otherwise, the church is just encouraging idleness. It's another one of those unintended consequences of the church's help. And what is clear from this is that Timothy and the church, they need to be caring, but they also need to be discerning in the kind of care Uh, that they provide in complicated decisions that face them as we finish tonight then we've we've said haven't we that the church is to be a close spiritual family that is full of affection full of care and yet discerning in the decisions that we make and i was thinking about it this week the reality is that if we were to measure ourselves against this ideal against this standard that paul lays down we might feel like we fall short are we a close spiritual family? Can we be closer as a family? Are we full of affection towards each other? Do we provide real care for those in our church family who are in need? And are we discerning about the decisions we make and the consequences that those decisions might have? The reality is that in many ways we will have lived up to this in, in some ways in a, in a good positive way. Lots of people will have experienced real care in this church family. But there are ways in which we will have fallen short of God's ideal. And yet the point of this evening's sermon is not to lay a burden on you to make you feel bad, because the reality is that Jesus is our model. He is the one who came close to us. He invited us to be close family with him. He is the one who that does not lack any affection towards us, but is full of affection towards us. And he is the one that cares for us like no other. Uh, He is the one who makes decisions that lead to our flourishing and our good. And so here is this beautiful picture of a church, a close spiritual family, full of affection, caring for one another in a real way. And yes, we'll fall short of it. But as we look to Jesus, and as we follow in his footsteps, Let's ask that the Holy Spirit would make us more and more into this kind of church family. Let's pray as we finish. Lord, we thank you for this letter of 1 Timothy. Lord, we thank you how practical it is. And we thank you, Lord, that the picture you chose to use of your church was that of a family, a close family. Lord, we pray for our local church. Lord, we pray that we would hold up and hold out the truth in our local community. And we pray that the kind of relationships that we have among ourselves would simply confirm the message that we preach. Lord, would you help us to know how rightly to relate to each other, to care for those who need our help and who are vulnerable. And as we do so, Lord, would you cause us to be a witness, a light, in the darkness so that people will look in at what we do in this place and will be envious of it and will want to be part of it. Lord, we cannot do this in our own strength. We can only do it as your Holy Spirit works powerfully among us. And so, Lord, this evening we ask, we ask, Lord, that you would help us, that you would empower us, and that you would help us to do it. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen.